Welcome to MGO Radio 8.1. We don't have Brian because he wrote a UFR that agreed with everything that I said and disagreed with everything he said on the podcast and then bolted for some reason. <laughs> Seems like a, a good duck on his part. <laughs> so, hi, guys. Uh, I'm Seth Fisher. We've got uh, Alec. That was David Nasser, next voice you heard there. Uh, we have Alex Strange as well. Alex, say hi. Hello. And and just joining us as we get on is Carl Grapentine, everybody, <laughs> the voice of Michigan Stadium. Hey there. <laughs> um, we were going to do uh, Colorado State. Sorry, not Colorado State. We're going to do Colorado State last. Let's do. We we're going to do Hawaii first, but I I want to know, Carl, how ready are you for this uh, for this one? Because <laughs> this is a lot harder on you than the players, I think. <laughs> I think, I think it's going to be easier than six years ago. It seems like most of the skill players have more well, Anglo names, shall we say. <laughs> uh, however, the linemen are filled with those Hawaiian, Polynesian, uh, Samoan names. So I'm asking our offense to make every play at least five yards. <laughs> so I don't have to call the names of any of the Hawaii defensive linemen. Thank you very much. Uh, good. The good news for no you backfield is that... fumble recoveries, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll work on that. Hey, um, just uh, I'm actually in the press box and the mic is actually on. So let me see if this works. And maybe you can't tell the difference. But good afternoon and welcome to MGo Podcast. <laughs> are we? So are we like broadcasting to Ann Arbor? Well, yeah, anybody in this area could have heard that. I'll put it aside. <laughs> that is, that is that's amazing. So we actually brought you on not just for your, your voice, which is, you know, I've been in a lot of other stadiums now, and uh, you've really spoiled us. Like, I mean, like you, you, you go to, I, I, I know it's, it's a very tough job that you've got there. And I, um, I really took you for granted, especially realized that once I was getting out and like listened to Penn State's guy and first down Wisconsin like I was just, there's a marked difference when you come to Michigan and um I was starting to talk to you yesterday about the amount of prep you go through for this kind of thing and like you know obviously the Hawaii is is difficult but I mean you go through every single name you talk to the SAID, you like you know all these things, but you're also the guy who goes and talks to the band about the history of the band, correct? That is correct. I've been with the marching band for this is my fifty third season of saying band take the field. So, and then it's your voice. Uh, you you have to practice with the band. In fact, that's what you're doing right now in the press box, right? You have a right. yeah. We have a rehearsal coming up at six o'clock, and one night only. It's open to the public. So if you're anywhere around, you've got fifty five minutes to get here and uh, watch the Michigan band be in the stadium. <sighs> Maybe that's where Brian went. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I right, so I'm going to quickly read our sponsors, and then I want to talk to you about the history of the band, specifically something that, uh, that happened 50 years ago today. Um, so anyway, our sponsors are uh, thank you for running our printing uh, for making this possible. UGP makes custom apparel such as T-shirts and sweatshirts. Was founded by two Michigan alums over 20 years ago. They have three retail locations in Ann Arbor and offer thousands of University of Michigan athletic products for sale, ranging from clothing to accessories and memorabilia. Check them out at UGPMichiganApparel.com or check out our selection of shirts as well as limited copies of Halo of the Victors 2022 
We just went on sale today at mgoblogstore.com. I also want to thank our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Home Assure Lending, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grad, Human Element, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by 4M, and we're recording this on SignalWire. So, the 50 years ago, is it today? I, I, I know it's 50 years ago this week uh, was the first time a woman was allowed to step on the field at Michigan Stadium. That is true. Title IX was passed, I think, in 1971. And, uh, well, there's no one around to confirm or deny this anymore. So I think if someone had really pressed their case, a female, in 1971, they would have to have admitted her. But the word just didn't get around. So nobody knew. I think there was one woman in the Illinois band in 71 that we began in 72 and most of the other bands around the Big Ten as well. Uh, there were 12 young ladies who marched in the fall of 1972. One twirler, one flag, and 10 people that, that played things. One of them is coming back in two weeks to conduct the national anthem for homecoming. So, Oh, that's great. And it was kind of an inauspicious uh, beginning. I know that I may, the conductor at the time was not necessarily in favor. I mean, he 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 shifted his position, I guess you could say. Um, he uh, yeah, he put his finger in the wind eventually and uh, went that <laughs> way. No, he was adamantly opposed. And if you dig, there are articles in the Daily back in '71, uh, you know, with some very inelegant comments about why women could never be in the band. And then, of course, it was forced be the case in 1972 and shortly thereafter he was right out in front saying i was the first band director <laughs> well women in the band in michigan and it's grown you know now 50 years later it's just about 50 50 yes uh, well I, and i also noticed the first um set that they did was uh let's just say it <laughs> probably was not chosen by the 12 women who just joined the band <laughs> yeah, it was a little a routine that we had done years before and that uh, they thought was funny. They being, you know, the brass, the the adults, and the mm-hmm. so-called adults, in the, uh, called Mini Skirt Rebellion. And they formed a stick figure on the field with a skirt. And then the band would play the stripper and stop after eight bars and yell, higher. And then the form <laughs> melds so the skirt got shorter. And they'd play it and then yell, higher. And then the skirt got shorter. Yeah, not not a beginning <laughs> for the twelve women in the band, but and yeah, oh. and you have to wonder if maybe that was supposed to be um, if if that was chosen with uh, with with that in mind, but maybe yeah, if if it was trying to it was if it was trying to shake anybody off, it didn't work obviously because we uh, we quite a few women in the band today and um, right. It, it is kind of interesting the uh, and like you said it, it's in the daily. In fact, you, like the the record of all of this was just covered. Like they they were talking about this um, an awful lot and they were focused on this. And so one one of the things they noted was uh, I think a few years earlier and I think you mentioned this to me too one time that the the band one time pretended they were going to have a woman out there and then surprise it's not <laughs> it's just a band drag. I think was 1970 was the 100th anniversary of Madeline Stockwell being the first woman admitted to the university. So we made note of that. And then uh, the script said something like, uh, you know, now for the first time in history, a woman will take the field with the Michigan band. And it was a twirler. 
but it was actually one of the male twirlers <laughs> with a wig on. It was, uh, once again, not the sort of thing we look back on fondly. Uh, just, yeah, when you when you talk about the good old days, it's kind of, you know, you know this kind of thing was going on. Uh, but yeah, but it also, Daily also noted, I think it was probably in September, and maybe this was part of the reason that nobody knew about it in 71. But I think in September 71 was when the Daily announced, or at least was written up in the Daily, that... Um, that Michigan had changed its policy because Michigan put uh, out a press release and said that like we're changing our policy now and we're not going to have just a co. We're, and I think that originally, and this was at least this is according to the press release in '71 that um, because the band had come out of ROTC, right, like or the ROTC, and it was it had a connection to the Michigan's military history, which is an interesting history to get into another time. Uh, but that was why that they they were always all male. That was at least their their reasoning, obviously, right? Uh, and I, that the association had ended in 1970, and therefore Michigan was changing it. So that was their explanation. 71. Yeah, the Roxy excuse really ceased to be, uh, you know, functional in the 1940s. In the 30s and 40s, William D. Ravelli was the director. He didn't know much about marching bands, so yeah, he hired an ROTC instructor to teach them how to parade march military style. But around 1950, he hired, things got much modernized, an assistant director who came up with, you know, new and different uh, ways to come out of the tunnel and form pictures on the field and all sorts of that. So it had been a long time since ROTC was a good excuse. (laughs) (laughs) That that makes sense. Uh, They, they, um, I I don't know. It was it was an int- I think it was interesting that they did it in September of seventy one though because you know who's going to be able to go and join the band what two weeks into the season already right. Yeah. Matter of fact, the woman the woman who's conducting in two weeks I interviewed her a couple of weeks ago just for our archives and she said in the fall of seventy one she did eventually approach uh, Professor Cavender was his first year as marching band director. And, uh, you know, well, little lady, I'm afraid it's too late for this year because the band's already started and all, but uh, she was ready the next year and with 11 others. <laughs> and and how was that for the, the 12 women? I mean, what, were the guys in the band cool about it? Was there pushback? Was there... I wondered the same thing. I was around, but I wasn't really, you know, part of the band. And in interviewing Lynn a couple of weeks ago, she said they were great. To her, the guys in her section. She was a tenor sax player, and uh, they supported her. She was the best player in the section. She was first chair, and uh, she said they had my back, and they uh, they helped make it happen, which is which is good to hear. And at least at least that was okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you very much, Carl. I, I, you know, we'll we'll bring you on all the time just to listen to your voice. But I thought that <laughs> with, with the 50 years after Title IX, for, in case I just did a bare, an awful job and talked about all this without even explaining what it is, Title IX was a federal law passed that said that universities have to provide equal opportunity to women. And that has um, touched a lot of aspects of campus life, but especially in athletics and uh, in extracurricular activities that were formerly all-male, it meant that either ha- things had to be opened up for women or women had to have an opportunity to compete. And what Title IX has meant has been an ongoing, you know, there's tons of guidance out there. There's tons of, it's 
types of reporting and everything, and, and it's changed over the years to fit the needs of the schools and whatnot. But um, it was certainly a major change for campuses at the time and certainly has had its uh, effect. You look at women's sports in America today, and it's greater than any other country in the world. So you kind of have to right. credit the <laughs> credit the guts of the people to pass it back then because it, uh, it certainly changed things for us and is the reason we have so many w- amazing women's sports, the reason why we have such an amazing band tradition now. And how many people are in the band tomorrow? Well, we have uh, in the upper 300s of people who stayed with us. We In the last couple of years, especially last year, the first year after COVID, we really didn't know what the uh, the turnout would be like, and we had to turn people away, which we had never really done before, but there's just not room in the building for more <laughs> than about 400 people. Uh, there'll be about 300 or so on the field for halftime. Uh, pre-game, it's only about 235, because that's, that's all you can fit into the block M to make it go okay. down the field. <laughs> the same for years and years, but uh, yeah, halftime is a much larger band. I, I need to know it just because my kids have, have me do a thing where I have to pretend to be you for a moment. And okay. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the X number of Michigan marching band. And well, you I, know, there's two things there. As of this year, we have dropped ladies and gentlemen. Okay. And several years ago, we dropped the number because that it was, yeah, it was 235 and that... The, the directors felt that made the band sound small, whereas at halftime, you know, there's in excess of 300 on the field. <laughs> so the new announcement for pregame is Michigan fans everywhere presenting the Michigan marching band. Band, take the field. All right. With that, I think we're going to take a break. Thank you so much, Carl. Uh, have a good practice, and I literally cannot wait to hear you tomorrow. Well, thanks. I hope you can use that clip with the stadium reverb on MGO Podcast. <laughs> He's already it. clipped it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll take a break and be right back. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family reunion, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up, and you can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. 
Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO Blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash blog. At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. Passion for e-commerce. Sell stuff online. Security. Performance. Conversion. Beautiful user experiences. Bella experience utilizator. Monthly marketing. PPC SEO. Make your user a customer. Conversion. Arte perfume for online retailers. Love your website. Let human elements show you how. Available at human-element.com and find apartment stores, not find apartment stores. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. Welcome back to MGO Radio 8.1. I'm Seth Fisher along with David Nasternak and Alex Drain. And we are here for the part that I know you all tuned in for, the Hawaii preview. The big night game against the Hawaii <laughs> Rainbow Warriors. And Alex, I think watching this team broke you. <laughs> uh, it was pretty rough. That's what I'll say. Um, their offense is better than their defense. I'll give them that. Well, um, one of them had to be better. <laughs> um, the offense, I think, in some ways is an encapsulation of why quarterback is the most important position um, because you can have some okay pieces and just be horrendous if your quarterback is the level of play that Hawaii has gotten. Um and yeah. Seth, you said it's going to be Joey Yellen, correct? Yeah, that was announced today that apparently there was an injury uh, to Brandon Shaker, who was the starter in the first game that you watched. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe they were just like, God, let's just not get this core kid killed. Um, but I, I it's, yeah, so Shaker was the one who started against Vandy, and then he got pulled at the end of Vandy for Yellen, right? Yes, well, well so he started Vandy got yanked, then they yanked Yellen and put Shager back in, then they started Yellen against Western Kentucky, then yanked him, then put Shager in. So it's 
it's just a carousel. I mean, <laughs> there's not really a starter at that point. I mean, no, it, it's rotating. It's, you get the job until you throw a howler interception, <laughs> right? And then, and then they run the other guy out there. Well, <laughs> so which how many one, of them do they have? <laughs> which one was it for Shager? The one where he threw into like triple coverage, or the one where he threw it to a defensive end or defensive tackle for a fat guy touchdown? Uh, I think it was. I don't remember exactly. <laughs> they all the, run, Yellen, they run together. Yeah, it all happened about three different times. So Yeah, right. I mean, these two guys are real rough. Yellen is <laughs> a transfer from Pitt, uh, formerly of Arizona State as well. Someone commented that he needs to go to Tulsa and Rice to complete the Todd Graham um, <laughs> <laughs> collection. But um, who, yeah. who follows Todd Graham around? The he didn't really, though. They, they picked him up after... Right, but like he's, uh, he's going after Todd Graham leaves these places. He's not yes, showing yes, up. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I mean, we're following Jim Moore around. So whatever. <laughs> um, it's like the Mark so, Antonio to Brian Kelly. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so Yellen, he's on his third program in four years. There's just this is who he is. Whereas with Shager, he was a, a young guy, had to play as a true freshman then gets run out there again as a redshirt freshman in his second season with two different coaches and two different, you know, offensive coordinators and the whole thing. I mean, Shaker's just not ready for prime time. Whereas Yellen, we can just kind of say this is who he is, but both guys are pretty similar in that they're not super accurate. Shaker's problem is he would put the ball 10 yards out of bounds on any deep shot. Um, Yellen didn't really attempt a lot of those, but also had just had accuracy problems um, both guys can't read a defense. Both guys run 10 yards backwards and then chuck it into triple coverage. Anytime there's pressure, like, <laughs> so we're preparing for two Aaliyah. It's, it's a lot worse than that. Cause Talia is really athletic and can yeah. like make plays. Yeah. That's, the, that's, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm like the world's leading knocker on Talia and this is, and I would not yeah, compare him to these guys all like that. No. Yeah. This is. It's really bad. Yeah. Um, it's supposed to be a passing offense. Like, he's trying. Timmy Chang came out. <laughs> he, he was the wide receivers coach of Jay Norvell, who coached Colorado yes. State. So, like, the, the offense that you saw last week, that's the offense they came here to run. Unfortunately, Jay took all the players from Nevada already, so Timmy was like, well, you didn't leave anything for me. And they picked up Yellen, I think, after spring practice. So, Yellen did not win the first or second job at Pitt. And then they got him after spring practice, so like he was learning in fall what the what the playbook was. Yeah, and the, and it shows too. And their wide receivers are just guys. They had some injury issues there. They've got a big tight end that I'm intrigued about, just to see what Michigan decides to do, how they're going to cover him. Um, but he's not a particularly great player. Um, I mean, they typically and- put the strong safety on him, which is that's R.J. Moten this year, um, who's. More than I mean, he's two hundred twenty-three pounds. He should be able to hang with a guy, you know, four pounds more than him. Yeah, and uh, they also have a running back who we really liked in the off season and right. featured heavily in Hail to the Victors. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> he cannot hold on to the football anymore. <laughs> so uh, that's led to now sort of a running back rotation at that position. Um, yeah, Nashe Bryant Lele is the is the second guy. Dedrick Parson is the first one. And as yep. soon as you, when you wrote that, I went because I was putting the preview together and I was going to grab the picture that Hawaii Athletics sent me that I used in Hail the Victors. And I n- noticed that that moment like, oh, he's chicken winging the ball right now. And then I looked at the other picture they had of him and he was chicken winging the ball <laughs> there again. too. I'm like, 
maybe uh, this is actually a thing. Cause, might be tipping it. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I was gonna write like, oh, Alex is probably just like so frustrated watching FFF. You know, I I've been there. I know what it's like to watch film on bad teams and be like, why am I doing this? Can I just get over with this? Why are you playing so bad? Yeah, they, they do have a pretty experienced OL though, don't they? Yeah, well, the one thing I also say about the Parson fumbles that was frustrating is both were scooping scores, uh-huh. and if I remember correctly, both were actually not scoops. They were like caught out of midair and scored interception. Like, fumbles? They were basically pick six fumbles. Yeah, uh, like they, they're but, they're like they both popped in the air to somebody who was yeah, coming to tackle yeah. him, and he gets the ball and said, "One of those guys is Alex Orgy's older brother." Correct. Yeah. Uh, a Fernie Orgy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the OL is, is older. It's more experienced. I think it should be better than Colorado States, but like there's still a lot of warning signs. <laughs> they had a right tackle who is, is struggling Austin Hop. Yeah. Um, there's some issues elsewhere. Like I don't expect they'll be able to do much of anything uh, yeah, up front I against liked, Michigan. I like two of their offensive linemen, uh, Michael Vanterpool and Yeah, Ed Vanterpool's Manning. pretty good. Yeah, Vanterpool, he was playing uh, left guard last year. You could tell who he is because he's the only one who's six foot six, and the rest are like six two. So <laughs> he kind of stands out. Um, and uh, and they moved him over to right guard, and I think that's because they want to pull him. And I, it, it seems like the best use of that line is L. Manning as the left tackle, have him block down, and then try to run off of Vanterpool. And Parsons pretty good at doing that. They also go, um, they also have like some weird formations where like there's a you know a covered guy or whatever because it's not like they can pass anyway. Yeah, and the thing about them is that they pass all the time. I think they've attempted like the mo- the highest pass percentage in, in uh, through week one or, or week zero. They threw just pass after pass after pass. They and the problem is they don't get to hold the ball for very long, right? Their time right. of possession is very low because they go three and out, and the three and out takes twenty seven seconds because they threw three incomplete passes. And <laughs> so uh, that's gonna be similar to last week, then, right? Like, yeah, well, this game could have a lot of possessions and a lot of plays unless Michigan decides to go on a. 14 play nine minute drive problem is they probably won't do that because <laughs> most of the runs will not be stopped <laughs> yeah and i and i just realized that they're not even starting the center that i that i like they're gonna start a lee k uh Tanuvasa instead so i it's all falling apart they is there two questions for you one is the right tackle better or worse than colorado state's right tackle because we have to judge our defensive ends against this Probably better, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to judge with quality competition, right? Like, I don't think Vanderbilt's edges are comparable to Michigan's, most likely. So this okay. this one we'll get to see. All right, and then the next question, is there anybody, or is there any matchup on this team that you don't like? You mentioned the tight end, or... What, what, Not really. What what are they going to... When they move the ball, when we're upset that they, like, they're getting the thing going, what what's working? Um, Michigan's falling down. I mean, it might be a long run somewhere if Parson, you know, they open a hole for him. I, I, it would probably be through that offensive line would be my guess on that side of the ball. Um, and then I, I just think that this game too is going to be dictated, and this is the case for their offense. Their games have been dictated by the fact they're down like five touchdowns all the time, right? So they go on, <laughs> they go for it on right. fourth down a lot, and it's simply because they're often in these situations where, like, well, what do we have to lose? Like, <laughs> we're already down by so much. And I think that will dictate a lot of the game, especially if they give up turnovers that lead to scores directly, which happened often in their game so yeah, far. Yeah, and I think 
just like last week, Michigan's just the wrong system for them to play. I I was putting this off as long as I can, but how about their defense, Alex? How do you feel about this? <laughs> Uh, the defense, it's really rough. It's a very Oh my situation. God, your, your, your quote that I pulled out of there was like, <laughs> man, he's, he's, he's struggling. And then I was like, you know, I, I know what it feels like, but I've done like Rutgers games, like 2016 Rutgers, I remember thinking like, this is particularly bad. I think you probably got the worst team we've ever done. And I, and I was only totally on board with you breaking the cyan record on the chart. <laughs> Yeah, we we had a conversation like pretty late at night trying to figure out who it was, and I just said that you should just put a one big Scion halo around the whole defense because I mean they had what seven starters and then seven you put starters, yeah. and then like four or five guys on the bench and then you said you probably could have given other people but you've already made your point so they <laughs> so they they were better in the game I did not see the Western Kentucky game which I didn't see it because. Um, it no wasn't like on any channels. Uh, no, there's there's one version on YouTube. There's a weird bootleg version yeah, on YouTube, yeah, yeah where it's Which like someone yeah, someone you... with the camera out on the TV, and then it's uploaded. <laughs> right. It's like diagonal on YouTube, right? And you get to watch all the the commercials in Hawaii, which yeah. is kind of neat. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they they only held or they held Western Kentucky to 412 yards, which was a big improvement from 609 pre kneel downs against Vanderbilt. Uh, Vanderbilt is really bad. At least that's what we think. Maybe they're the most improved team in the SEC, but I doubt it because they played a competitive game against FCS Elon the very next week after uh, just trucking Hawaii. Did Elon and get a Elon's defense did significantly better than Hawaii's defense did, so that's bad. Um, and you know, this, the central issue is that it's just a roster of guys that power five teams didn't want that were like fourth string walk-ons just a whole bunch of guys they, they haven't been in the program they don't really know what's going on yeah there, and i mean there were a couple sec transfers and i i and hugh nelson was one of them the cornerback i'm like oh cornerback from georgia that makes sense and then, nope he was a walk-on uh matteo soli <laughs> is like an, uh, an arkansas guy he was actually a uh, um just just missed a top two four seven recruit, so he was you know he was a four star, and I think that's the only guy that they're playing who has any kind of talent. Um, and Soli is a decent player. I mean, he's like one of the few guys on the defense that I was not like, oh, this is awful. But he's um, he's listed at two hundred thirty, so he was a guy who was like two hundred forty as a true freshman, and like okay, he, you expect he lost, that. Right? You expect that guy to grow into an anchor, and they have him playing anchor. They have him playing like inside the tight end, where he's taking on doubles at two thirty. <laughs> okay. And, yeah. And we got Eric All and Trenty Jones out there, if not, you know, Joel Honigford. Like, yeah, this is, I, I, I'm yeah, caught between like, should we keep talking about this because I know well, how so to I wanna, names I want to or... point out. I want to point out the one thing about the defense, which is like it's badly organized. The players are bad, but the thing that was really rough about it is the like the tackling. I mean, <laughs> if you just watch the clips in the FFFF of their defense, I mean, <laughs> there are so many clips where a guy, I mean, if a guy went out in space and two tacklers are following him, all he's got to do is make one cut to the inside and they just go like rolling onto the sideline. Um, <laughs> I mean, guys falling over. There's the one clip I had where the running back for Vandy 
who's like at a 40 pound disadvantage, just trucks their middle linebacker, <laughs> just like stomps on him and keeps running. And then the safety misses a tackle. That's, that's the good line. That's Penny Pavihi, not Isaiah Tufanga. Like, I know. And he's one. the good one. Yeah. yeah. Quotation marks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Tufaga was just a disaster. And he was like the central culprit of the missed tackling. Um, I mean, I, so when I do these, I just look at negative events, positive events, as opposed to giving out one, mm-hmm. twos, and threes. I had him for 17 negative events. Oh, my God. Like 60 plays. And that's not scaling, you know. I, I, mean, it, I will it, tell it, you that hating weak, weak side linebackers is another thing that happens. Yeah, linebacker is a hard job. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> when you are unable to wrap up anybody, yeah, right? Like, that's a problem, um, yes. especially at that position. I, I will say that their corners, I thought, did okay a little bit against Fandy. Like they were mostly, there were some coverage pluses. Um, it, they it, a- it looked a little silly. Like there was one where you gave him a plus and I thought like, okay, he got in front of the guy, but you know, in the big 10, they call that pass interference all the time. Yeah. That one could have been a pass interference. And it's I mean, also a, a couple... guy listed at five eleven, quote five eleven, And you see, he's like clearly five, eight or five, like at five, nine at the most. Right. It landed yeah. up against like a normal sized receiver and he's like coming up to his knees and it's like that guy is going to go against Cornelius Johnson this week. Well, and it's important to note that what we saw against Vanderbilt is a little different than you know what they did against Western Kentucky in terms of their coverages because Vanderbilt is still like a run first quarterback run first offense like their quarterback is JT Barrett more or less and so they were trying to stack the box and and leave the corners on islands to stop the run and then against Western Kentucky which obviously as we all know very pass happy uh team you know they were they were sitting back a lot more so I'm not sure what the plan will be against Michigan the problem is again they have one defensive tackle who gets blown out on every play the linebackers can't find the hole, and if they can, they can't tackle. The safeties can't tackle. I mean, it, it Seth, I thought, made a good point about that Minnesota 2017 game, mm-hmm. um, which <laughs> I was. I decided to watch the highlights again after you brought that up, and I was like, yeah, this was really bad tackling. I mean, there was several <laughs> runs in that game where, you know, uh, Higdon and, and Chris Evans break two or three tackles en route to like and they know And no one game. blocks Kalik Hudson, which could also yes, be a theme yeah. if they put Michael Barrett down the line. All right. Is there what does JJ McCarthy have to do to match or pass Cade McNamara with his performance in this one? Like what is what does it have to look like? Taking the competition into effect, right? What's, what what are we looking for here? Um I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, what do you want? It, this is such a, it's such a weird game to uh, to assess a quarterback competition about. Um, and I think a lot of it will, will be interesting to see what Michigan's game plan is, because I think it'll be in the back of Harbaugh's mind that he could Harbaugh this thing up and still probably hang 56 points on him, right? Yeah. Like, they could basically never pass, and it probably will not make a difference. So I'm not sure, but I want to see them – you know, let JJ cook a little bit, let him run, let him throw down the field. And there'll probably be lots and lots of opportunities to do all of those things. This is, this is a a really rough team and it's a painful multi-year project in Hawaii, unfortunately. Okay. Alex score, uh, score prediction. 66 to three. David score prediction. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Probably in the sixties. I'll go 68 to 2. I'll go Brian on it. They'll get one safety. Michigan will screw up, and that's how Hawaii will score. It won't be because they did it. They'll bring in Iowa's defense. 
All right. I'm sticking with my 69 nothing because everyone liked that one. You have to. Yeah. We're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about another Mountain West team that we know and love, but one that we've already defeated. At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, certified financial planner from Peak Wealth Management in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. And now we have over $240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car, and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley anyway, and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, and make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the big house. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high quality and low latency communication functionality, for video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. Welcome back to MGO Radio 8.1. Seth Fisher with David Nasternak and Alex Drain. We are about to cover the Colorado State game, which IU have fired on the defense, Brian, you have fired on the offense. For those asking, yes, that's how we're planning to do it the rest of the year. And unless Brian's just like, I am 
so sick of doing the quarterback competition. You can do this, and and I can take all the Abianova sacks. But I got all the Abianova sacks, and it was fun. Um, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts now that we've kind of exploded ours out there. And um, I think our first thing that we were all I, – I, I was already kind of where Brian was on Cade, but I, even I was kind of surprised how hard in the paint he went. I mean, that was sort of to be expected. I don't think it was – I mean, I guess you always want to relook at things two and three times before you make a harsh judgment. But, I mean, I went through the game a couple of times, and it's just – maybe it was a bad game. I hope it was a bad game. Brian's, Brian kind of alluded to that, right? Like, it yeah. just could have been one of his worst performances, and there could have been jitters. Alex mentioned that, too, and everything. But it's really hard to look at that and say he's probably going to beat out JJ, not only – after what JJ did later on in the game where he made really good reads and added depth to the offense. But I mean, it was just a very stodgy start and stop first half. Yeah, there was, um, I don't know. He did get better as the start went along, but I thought Brian did a good job even in pointing out some of the other issues that, you know, kind of were still there. Like what we, we talked about with the Eric all play where he falls over and then the passing complete. The fact is that pass is not going for a first down and they're punting it or not punting the kicking field goal in the red zone, which was something that Jim Harbaugh talked about before the season and wanting to finish drives and things like that. And the red zone efficiency and everything else. And um, I, I basically thought that, you know, my priors haven't really changed. I thought JJ was the better quarterback that day. And now ball's kind of in his court and, you know, we'll see if he can be the better quarterback again uh, tomorrow. Against a monster defense, as we just talked about. <laughs> I mean, here, I, I remember doing the Washington game. By the way, I think uh, Brian forgot it was Sam Webb who, who mentioned the um, the only reads the boundary thing. And Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, and I think he that was from when Sam talked to Devin Gardner. Because Gardner's the one who... You know, of all the people in in the Michigan sphere right now, uh, and I and I know we're kind of on the edge of losing Gardner because he's got a broadcast career going off. But like, for the moment, we've got this guy, and like he's very astute. He's played the position here. He knows you know what the expectations are, and he gets the all twenty two film. So he was seeing things that were not. We're seeing things that maybe a couple people picked up on in the stadium. Um, and he's been the one who's been the most negative about McNamara. I was always pounding the table for the guy because of the pre-snap reads, and I don't think that that's just necessarily a tendency all the time. Maybe it was a tendency that CSU picked up on, and maybe it was a tendency that it was there because Michigan was running very simple things. And maybe that's part of the Cade problem is that if you if you don't have a game plan, if you're not actually taking advantage of, you know, if, if you're not trying to like go out and beat that opponent specifically because you're desperate to get every single point you can, then Cade's natural, you know, Cadeness is not really going to just destroy anybody, right? And I, I think that's just kind of part of who he is and part of the kind of quarterback he is, which doesn't really take away from his ceiling that we've already seen, but it does make him kind of dodgy for winning these games where you're like, man, you throw Jade... I mean, these games, these these games where you just want it to be a blowout, right? I mean, it was still a blowout. <laughs> it well, just yeah, took maybe right. a quarter longer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it is noticeable. JJ comes in and just runs around everybody. It's like, yeah, but we that, could do that any moment. We could do that to Iowa. So, 
that's the thing though, right? I mean, like the you know, Craig is always yammering about that too. Is like he just adds another dimension to the running game, and like you can see that. I mean, Brian talked a little bit about that too, about um, like some of the non reads that are in there, and like you're just like you're you're faking to no one, or you're gonna you're gonna pitch on a, on a play that's like no one believes you're gonna keep this, and you never really pull it. And I mean, yeah, it, that, this this offense life. this offense was designed to have JJ McCarthy in it, right? Like, <laughs> and that's. And so for me, it was always a matter of, well, it, you know, once it gets to a point at which the, the line between the two is pretty close from a passing standpoint, you have to go with JJ because of the running standpoint and the manner in which the run game is fully unlocked when, when he's in there. Yeah. Um, another thing Brian noticed was uh, just switching gears from the quarterbacks. Now the, uh, uh, you know, he struggled with Carson Barnhart, which is a thing that I did last year. Um, I think that the best charting he's ever had is as a tackle and as a pass protecting tackle. And then he didn't get to, you know, we only get to saw, see him for a little bit, but, you know, he stuck on a, a double team for a long time, which is like, why yeah. are you doing that in, a, in your fourth year or something, whatever, you know, it's like it, I know he's the backup, but you know, I feel like that there's maybe more of a drop than we had last year when Chuck Filianga came in and was just like, now we're going to mash with this guy. <laughs> yeah, I, my offensive line take was kind of, I think I had said this to David after the game, but looking at the the charting as well, that the Trenty Jones performance kind of reminded me a little bit of Juwan Bushel Beatty in some ways. Oh. Remember where he was like kind of wobbly <laughs> as a pass protector? He could really run block. And uh Brian's run score for Trenty was pretty pretty good, but the, the pass one was a little wobbly. That was, so that was different because Juwan Bushel Beatty could run block by just slamming into people and moving. Yeah, them. he was just a big guy, whereas Trenty's thing will be the athleticism. And I yeah. think that that is an important point because I thought Trent A. Jones I watched this game with an offensive lineman I mentioned this in the last podcast so you know when you watch him with OL it's just like I'm like oh look at the quarterback I wasn't watching the quarterback look at his feet I was his feet like that <laughs> was it in that voice hands? too Seth huh was it in a deep gravelly voice <laughs> he you know what he actually changes his voice depending on what he's looking at so like he can be really <laughs> sweet and then all of a sudden he gets like football coachy voice when he's watching um Hi Ben, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, he. But he, I mean, he was mad about Trente Jones's feet, which I take as a positive because I, I know it's a fourth year player. You want him to be a little bit more developed, but you know, you get into your first start and you're like, okay, well, what am I doing now? He has the agility, so yeah. is it, maybe he just like lost some of his. his a little excited, you know, oh God, this guy's, you know, I don't want to mess this up, and I don't know. It could have been a. There weren't that many opportunities and Brian only gave him minus three in pass protection, which is not like Ryan Hayes versus Penn State bad day. It's like we're looking for things to talk about and that was one thing that everyone saw a couple times. Yeah, and I yeah. thought that was even a little being nice. I, I I probably I mean I don't know I'm not a grader, but like I I looked at both of those in replay and I was like, I don't really like that. But I mean I guess I guess one you got a minus one, so it's not quite as bad. Yeah it was a minus one and a minus two. 
Yeah. I thought the UFR this week, and this is good news for Seth, I thought the offensive one was just not super interesting because, like, we didn't get to learn anything <laughs> about the receivers at all. Like, a, a whole portion of it is just not operable. Well, like, all. I mean, there was nothing Whereas, to learn about the receivers. Like, Ronnie Bell had an awesome block. Way! <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, Roman Wilson is so fast. <laughs> really fast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's it, like, surprised. Like, yeah, <laughs> the, the offensive UFR was a lot of quarterback talk, which, you know, is at this point, the horse has been dead for several weeks now. Uh, we just keep pounding it every day. Whereas the defense, I thought a lot of interesting stuff to talk about on the defensive UFR. Yeah. I don't trust any of it. Or maybe the linebackers. I, I, I'm starting to believe that linebacker is not a uh, is a position that doesn't really matter as much who you're playing. Not entirely. It you know you, you can get pushed around, but the idea is to get to the spot before anybody else. So all, it's it's reading the play, and there's yeah. not that much difference in like how fast like certain linemen get to a certain spot or whatnot. Like the fastest lineman on a pole and an average lineman on a pole in college is not so different that you can't tell the difference in the linebacker play from just watching how quickly he gets there. So I thought Junior Colson knew what he was doing for the most part. He had some sticks. Guys did not go forward when he hit them, and. I mean, score one for everybody who was saying, calm down, Seth, last year when I was like, this guy is terrible. He's running the wrong direction. What do we do? And he... A true freshman. And he was a true freshman. That's what everyone said. It's like, he's a true freshman. True freshman linebackers don't even play. Like, true freshman defensive tackles suck, but they get in there because they're big. And it's like, you saw Kenneth Grant for a couple of plays. He was big. What did he do in there? Be big. I mean, Devin Bush didn't even play a ton as a true freshman. Yeah. He he rotated in, but... He had, like, one hard shot against Michigan State. It was, like, the one memory from, yeah. from his freshman year. So, yeah, they true freshman linebackers, we give them a break. I didn't even put uh, – and everyone mentioned it. Everyone was like, hey, what what was uh, Jimmy Rolder's score? I'm like, I'm not even grading the guy. It was just all in backup time. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I gave him points for because we were on there, but I wasn't going to put him in the chart. Um, Is it harder to do UFRs like that, like, when you know – that the game that there, there's so much time that either a is garbage time, which is kind of true, and b like the competition is so low that you're like, you know, what? It, I guess I can grade him, but I there feel... are I go into a different mode. So like I I'll be I'm watching the beginning and it's like okay, let's see what Mozzie Smith does, and then you see they're they're really kind of taking the ga- you know taking the foot off the gas. And I was like, yeah. I thought Mozzie Smith was going to come in for like a plus twenty one, and he would have if they actually played him that much. But he like he comes out and when he's in there, you know, he's taking on double teams at the line of scrimmage and then celebrating when everyone gets a thunder sack fifteen yards away. Because he's just eating all the linemen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no there there was no point in in wasting him. There's no reason to like make him yeah. super tired. And like when they wanted to, when they they put him on there on a fourth and three, and it's like okay, we're gonna put the starters back in because you guys are going for it and we don't like this. And what does he do? He eats up two players and he gets to the quarterback <laughs> and, so, and like that's it. Like that's that Mozzie Smith was unblockable in this game, and you can tell that. And, and Morris, I was watching him and Jalen Harrell. He was himself, but a little bit stronger. So I'm watching the starters, and then it starts to get to backup hour, and everyone's kind of taking the foot off the gas, and everyone's a little, you know early hour. Yeah, right. And so then I chart backup hour differently depending on if you're a new player and we're learning something about you or if you're another guy. And you notice, like, I stopped really talking about Morris and give him a plus two and be like, Morris did this, blah, 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 right? Because it it's, it's not something you're surprised from Morris anymore. Yeah. Uh, but 
you know, you want to see what a Yabianoma does. And then you have to go back and be like, okay, well, it was against the right tackle. Oh, oh whatever. But then you can compare how a Noma reacts to something that Welshoff reacted to. It was the same exact play, one after the next. And it's like, okay, Anoma does it right, Welshoff does it wrong, and this is why. And it's very obvious because you could see one guy ducked inside the guard and has faced this. I mean, he's, he's new at this position, but it's like, well, you don't can't do that. You're not going to play. Um, and it made sense why he's fallen behind a Yabianoma, which is another data point for a Yabianoma. It's like, how good is this guy? Are we using him because like he just came in and we want to you know, see what we've got? Or can he actually play the position? But he knows what he's doing out there. He just does not have a lot of moves yet. Um, so he's really just raw? Him. Yeah. And then the and other... we mentioned... Or we, I was just going to say, we mentioned this on the other podcast that like he, he, has, he probably has another year. Yes. Unless he like yes. blows up or something, yeah, I, but like so, so that's okay. I've been going through all the. I went through all the guys this off season and put it into my my spreadsheet of like how much eligibility everybody has because COVID was just messing me up. I completely yeah. lost track. Yeah. Not just like the extra COVID year you get for 2020 because everyone gets 2020 for free if you played or not. Right. It doesn't matter. Um, right. But also just like having the whole year happen like that, like my brain lost whatever wherever it used to keep where every player was and what class he was in i can't remember it anymore it's just all fuzzed together so now i have it all i have all that data down and i know it was really easy just go in and see you know does this year count or not did he play four games if he played four games it, it, it played more than four games that year counts against him if he doesn't it doesn't count so his true freshman year counts against him he played at alabama his second two years don't count against him because he was transferring one of those was uh and one of those was 2020, so it didn't count for him anyway. And then last year counts because he was playing. So he is a junior because he's played his true freshman year and his junior year. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Brain McGregor, I you know I thought he was getting into the backfield. Brian liked him a lot more than he came out in the charting, and I thought that was I anything having to do with his legs seemed to kind of you know. Doesn't just doesn't have the strength yet, and he's got kind of chicken legs out there, which is what we kind of thought. I mean, that's what yeah. happens when your knee does those things, right? Right. And what I what I wanted to point out was that I think that's a positive for him, if not not for this year, but he had a knee injury. He's definitely worked on his upper body. He know he has the motions. He he's probably the best out of all the defensive ends as far as technique is concerned, and. If he can get those legs stronger again, which, you know, he's, he lost everything up until last year, um, losing muscle. And that's that's a big deal. Everyone's adding, right? The whole college career, you're adding and adding. Yeah. So an- another guy, you mentioned Anoma, but I think McGregor might actually be even more next year than Anoma at this point. And uh, what do we think about Jalen Harrell? He's him. He's himself. I. So you weren't you weren't overly taken with he had a, a little very bit of extra... Game. He had a very good game. He knows where to be. He's better yeah. than Taylor Upshaw. Um, Upshaw is Upshaw can drop into his own. Upshaw is not going to screw up. Alex, I, I, I love your okay. Upshaw line, right? Like that's yeah, <laughs> that's how we're grading everybody. Um, but you know, he Upshaw when he gets into the pass rush, even he couldn't get even against these guys. He was not getting anything. It's like, well, if you're not going to get a pass rush against Colorado <laughs> State's right tackle. Side. Maybe Maryland's right tackle? Or, no. <laughs> Hawaii's right tackle? UConn's right tackle? We have some options here. That So he's going to have to get him against someone. But, like, I thought that dropping him 
kind of demonstrate when they and bringing the other guys kind of showed Michigan knows that he's not a pass rusher. He's in his fifth year. I don't think that's happening for him, but he's a very useful player because he's not going to screw anything up. And Harrell makes Upshaw's path to staying on the field difficult because Harrell is not screwing up anything either. And he's stronger than he was before. I don't know how much seriously I want to take anything against the right tackle, but he was kind of on... um, If you notice, Anoma and... We didn't talk about him, uh, but uh, Moore... Derek yeah. Moore was actually, I thought, the most impressive because both of those guys were getting like a point per snap, basically. Up like every like <laughs> that seems insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's like Brandon Graham times two. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. You're um, and that's not going to happen against regular competition. And obviously, they were out there in positions. You know that. They got out there, they got attacked, or they got to pass rush like right away. It's not like there were a lot of spots where like they were on the field and they went and someone went away from them. But that was kind of happening to Harold too, and Harold's score was more like you know half a point per possession or, or per snap, which is also incredibly excellent and awesome. It's just it there's a diff there was a difference in the athleticism level and with uh, more especially man he's just the with the ease with which he was doing it was different than the other guys and it looked more translatable to a higher level even if it wasn't very like you know, technique oriented he's 270 pounds he's strong he knows exactly what how to you know where to put his hands he's not on McGregor's level he's certainly not on like Harold's level as, as like development but man like if that's his first game of his career, and he's not allowed to go to the NFL for another two years, like, well, woo! isn't he a year older? <laughs> yeah, he's a year older. Well, that happens a lot. There's a lot. Of, so, Rashawn would Gary that a year count older too. against his graduation year, though? Well, he, he graduated high school the same year anyway. So, okay, it's still three years from when you graduate high school. If you're 25 years old and you graduate high school, so but know, you'd still have to be 20. Okay. Yeah, we All know right. this because that's that's how they get these 30 year old. Uh, punters in from Australia. It's like they didn't go to high school. They went and played professional sports. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. Any other defensive takes? I, we didn't really get anything about the secondary. You guys nope. were, you guys there, were, there wasn't really any grading, right? I mean, like there was a little, but I mean, you had a couple. Obviously, there's a couple good sticks by each of the safeties, and then Sainer still looked a little floppy on the zone for, at the zone from time to time. But um... no, it was one. He had one, and Moten had one. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I, mean, they, I thought Sanders uh, that's still why stuck the he stuck the edge, which is like right. Yeah, yeah that yeah the, against the run, I thought he was was really good. So, but that again, was, really small sample size all around. It seemed. Yeah. But I mean, he he looked like he belonged out there, which was what one of the things we were looking for is like, does the converted receiver actually look like a guy who can play the position? So, well, and he was also what he was going to go to Virginia Tech as a cornerback, I think. Yes, back when Virginia Tech cornerback was like Wisconsin offensive lineman or linebacker. Yeah, when it was all the fullers. Right, what do they know? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so he, yeah, and and that was what they, I I think Rivals was like, we're not even going to rate this guy as a receiver. He's a cornerback, even after like he was coming to Michigan to play receiver. So, Um, yeah, that was nice. And Rod Moore is kind of like, Inching his way, it's hard to do it against a team like this, but kind of looks like a like maybe Michigan's best safety since uh, Leno Hill. I don't know, like who's <laughs> who, who? Where's where's our where's our guy? And I I mean Dax Hill is his own thing, right? Yeah, I mean and he was a nickel. 
mostly. So. Yeah, I'd like to see him a little more in pass coverage. I mean, Kovacs was like awesome coming up against the run. I mean, Co- and that's yeah, a little and, but, bit of. I mean, no, no offense to Kovacs, but like Kovacs was not a, a do everything safety. Yeah, no, I no, 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 no. And that's matched up against right. slot but receiver. Well, well what we saw was from more this week was like run stuff, right? Or yeah. like quick pass, come down, make a tackle type thing. It wasn't as much coverage. Yeah. F- funny enough, the least interesting play that he was on screen was his interception. Because <laughs> it's just like the, the guy is like not looking and chucks it right into cover one. And yeah, like, I mean, that was free. You, I mean, just seeing it live, you're watching, you're like, well, <laughs> right. <laughs> you literally right. threw it right to him. So, right. But Michael Barrett threw a block. I love that we have – I know I mentioned this last podcast too, but, like, we got blockers out there. We have, like, real – like, Sainer still knows what he's doing, you know? Like, the second, the second that turns around, he's like, okay, we're we're on special teams now, or I'm, I'm out here in the slot. And, and Michael Barrett, like, that's literally our up back on special teams. Like, that's your lead blocker on, on all those plays. So he knew what he was doing too. And, man, Michigan did not get a lot of interceptions last year. If they're going to get more, this could be really fun. Yeah. It'd be nice if they would catch them when they hit them in the hands this year. Thank you. Okay, I think we're going to take that as our moment to go to a break. Uh, We'll be back with a gimmicky top five that I have to figure out my answers for. Here's a thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance. I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance, and I'm really happy I did. Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group. They are MGO blog readers, and they don't advertise during football games. And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248 Six eight two seven four four five, or visit them online at philkleininsurance.com. This is Matt Demrest, the owner of HomeShare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance. This is Seth Fisher from MGO Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use HomeShare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself used them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our company. Loan. Brian used them, you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com, that's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E, lending.com, slash mgoblog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me, kind of an annual tradition, Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you? Nine. Can I get a Go Blue? Go Blue! NMLS number one one six. Equal housing lender. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle, whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up, and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734 734- 734 
945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. Welcome back to MGO Radio. We are uh, going to do a gimmicky top five because we probably uh, thought we wouldn't have that much to talk about with Hawaii and Colorado State, and yet somehow we did that anyway. Um, I do want to mention our featured musician tonight, Brain Plasticity Ukulele Collective. I ran into these guys in Ann Arbor. They are not just ukuleles. Anyone can come play. Anyone can bring any instrument. You can be any age. You can be 35 years old. You could be a 3,000-year-old druid or anywhere in between. Um, they all play a lot of different instruments, and they do have an album out there, which I used for this, but I think the album doesn't really do it justice because it's more kind of like you get whatever you get when the, whenever you go see them. So Brain Plasticity Ukulele Collective, I'll put the link up on the uh, site and you guys can check them out, especially if you're in Ann Arbor, you'll, you'll probably find some opportunity to go and see them. It's always fun. So we come up with a gimmicky top five. This is going to be, I don't think anyone got the, I'm not sure everyone got the assignment. The idea was things that you remember from absolute blowouts that nobody remembers. So I have to tell you a caveat, and we talked about this in the break, like doing this with other MGO bloggers is like everyone remembers everything. So <laughs> if you want to come up with something extremely original that nobody remembers, you better watch some game that was never played. I I know, but like there are there are games that like I did not remember anything from that UMass game. And you pulled like the Mike Cox thing back, and I'm like, oh yeah, like and like, but but that was what prompted this. That like, you know, Michigan played UMass in 2012, and I remember nothing. I did not remember. I was at that game, and like I remember seeing Mike Cox running at us, and you know, whatever. I it's just blows together right there's been so many games and these are games that you completely forget um so we're just gonna go right into it uh alex your number five memory from a game that nobody remembers uh mine is the only thing i remember from the 2019 maryland michigan game played in college park a game that i was at and broadcasted the entire game of and have no recollection of other than Giles Jackson running back the opening kickoff for a touchdown, which was a pretty cool moment. And at that point, the game was over, and there's nothing else to remember from that game. But I like Giles. He was a fun special teams guy. I don't even remember that. Yep, Yep. that's the only only notable thing. Yeah, I mean, he had another. Oh, I remember the one he almost took back. That's that was Indiana. Yeah, that was that's one of mine. But but uh, (laughs) oh, (laughs) I well, we'll we'll just go into yours. What's your number five? Mine was um. So this wasn't exact. It was kind of something that happened during the game. But in Delaware State in two thousand nine, it was final of sixty three to six. It was 28 nothing in the first quarter, and I got a text from my friend that said, we're on pace for 112 points. And I remember looking at that and thinking, there's a non-zero chance that this actually happens, to see a 112-0 to zero game, which I think only Craig Ross could remember a game like that. That's, that's, that's a very nice one. So my number five is a personal one. Um, 
2010 Bowling Green. Uh, when you fall in love and the woman that you are completely in love with says, you know, I really want to get married in Ann Arbor in this one place, and they only have one day available, and it's the day after a football game. Well, you're in love. You just say yes like an idiot, and then you have a anniversary for the rest of your life in, during the, right in the middle of football season. So I, <laughs> I did that, and once I realized what I had done to myself, I said, well, at least we're going to incorporate football into this somehow. So we tailgated. We had everybody come to the Michigan Bowling Green game in 2010, and, uh, and then my friends got together and had us like up on the scoreboard with like a uh, you know Seth and Rachel True Blue and they made make sure they got the photo and they got the photo right after the fourth it happened right after right after the first quarter and it's great because Denard is just destroying them in that game yeah and like he had a he had a seventy eight yard run right before the end of that quarter which made the box score something ridiculous like two hundred eighty eight yards for Michigan twenty one nothing and like twelve yards for Bowling Green. <laughs> Back when defense was hard to come by, if you recall, <laughs> and, and 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 because my, and then my friends got me the photo, they blown up and it's in our basement of this uh, of that moment. So like our our wedding weekend at least got got that and this beautiful photo of Denard Robinson's destroying uh, Bowling Green. So there's my memory. You'll never you will never forget that. No, no, no. <laughs> we cele- we celebrate that along with the with the anniversary. <laughs> It it was not. I mean, it was cool to have. We got married on the Sunday, and like it was cool yeah. to have the Saturday um, in Ann Arbor with all my friends because you know it brought back everyone from college, right? And there was all the college friends, and we went and kissed under the arch. And oh yeah, yeah. And they say you know if you kiss under the arch, you're gonna get married the next day. And lo and behold, <laughs> random chance. <laughs> who who yeah, could have thought? I could imagine. All right, uh, Alex, you're number four. Uh, this one had to bring it out because, uh, it's Hawaii, uh, 2016. The memorable part about the off season, is it Spate? Is it O'Corn? Is it Spate? Is it O'Corn? Now it's Spate. Unveil him, unwrap him, show him to the public. And he throws an interception on his first pass. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there's not a lot else memorable from that game, but that was a, a pretty humorous. Well, no one was like worried because you're not like, oh no, we're gonna lose to Hawaii now. But no. it was kind of like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I actually have another one from that game too. Oh, you I'm sorry, do? guys. <laughs> my my list was come up with like you know, it it's on the mind. Hawaii's on the mind. I just looked up photos yeah. from that. So yeah, um, David, you're uh, you're number four. So my number four was going to be Notre Dame 07. And the interesting thing about that was the fact that they went three and nine that year. And I didn't remember that Notre Dame did, but because you wanted something specific that no one remembers, I'm using one of my honorable mentions, which is Rutgers 19, which was 52, nothing. And it was, there's nothing really memorable about the game except for that. The student section was clearing out and a whole pack of Elvi took up residence in the, <laughs> nor- the higher part of the student section. And there's just like, why is everyone there? You can see them. Cause you know, there's no one there. These bunch of dudes in white jumpsuits and they played jailhouse rock for them <laughs> and put the camera on them. And there's just hip swinging everywhere. And they're just going nuts for this. I, I don't know what, that where that came from but uh i will never forget seeing the pack of elvi there's there's one more notable thing about that game okay we we fired chris ash that's right he was fired the very next day that was his last game 
Now, was it? I can't believe you made it that long. <laughs> was it seventeen or fifteen? So seventeen was no. It had to be fifteen when like we had uh, um, Harbaugh got the got the call for unsportsmanlike or you're trying to like mess with their he. What was that call again? That people still bring it up all the time. He got he tried to bring intent an extra to guy deceive. On. Intent to deceive. Yeah. Was that the intent to deceive game or was that 2015? Uh, I, think it was I don't 15. I think, think that was that was 15. 19, but I no, think it was, was early no, in back in 15. Career. Yeah. Yeah. Man, all the Rutgers games at home just run together. There's the one where they threw it to Chris Evans. I remember that. <laughs> oh, Brandon Peters first. Brandon, Brandon Peters, Peters game. Brandon Peters yes. to Chris Evans, and like yeah. the heavens part. Maybe I should make that my inst- my n- number three instead. Um. Oh, but anyway, my number four is also from that Hawaii game, and it's Jabril <laughs> Peppers. Not hurdling a fool, even though there he did hurdle a fool in that game. And I found the photo and used that for the Hawaii preview because Jabril Peppers hurdled a fool. Nice. Um, but he also, it's, it's the first, remember, it's really early in the season, and it's the first moment of you tried to edge Jabril Peppers. How did that work out for you? Yeah. Because they they run a play that's like, yeah, we got them now. And Peppers just screams down faster than you've ever seen someone scream down and stops the a, a lineman coming across just cold and it's like well nowhere to go now now you have to deal with Graham you know Graham Glasgow or sorry, Ryan Glasgow and uh and Mo Hurst inside and I mean that was that season right like that 2016 yeah. season was you cannot edge to real peppers no matter what you do and he's out there playing linebacker so you're gonna have to play him like a linebacker and I mean the first time we got to see it work that was like that was really cool it's like okay Don Brown, I get it. I think I'm on board with this. This this looks well, like it's going to make sense. No one had really done it like that. Like no one had ever. I mean, that was he was like the first person, at least in Michigan, anyway, that well, you could ever since see. The, since the '70s and the strong safety was invented. Well, yeah, yeah, right, right. I, but like that's the thing. But he, like they took back something from way back. You know, yeah. Now, 50 years ago, it was 40 years ago or something. When he, but yeah, that was the style of play, and like the the fact that he could do it at his size was like. That was the eye opener because it's a you know big offensive lineman with like you right. know like Malatanga or whatever his name was like I remember having a name that sounded like you know Mungo <laughs> and like just slams into the guy and he goes backwards it's like okay your play is over uh, Alex your number three thing you remember from something that from a game no one else remembers uh, so I I'm going with uh, the aforementioned uh, Minnesota game in the rain. Uh, we, we brought it up briefly earlier, but uh, their complete and utter <laughs> failure to ever adjust to Kalik Hudson <laughs> on every single play, <laughs> just unblock off the edge, every play, just <laughs> tackling the quarterback, uh, whether it was a TFL or a sack or, or whatever. Uh, the other things I wanted to say about that game, I was in the student section for that one. Right. And mm-hmm. it was rainy game that whole it got delayed by some of it got delayed a couple hours yeah Yeah. and so we finally get there and the whole student section was just so slick right like the seats and the everything was wet and i remember being extremely concerned for my health because (laughs) there were people like constantly behind us that would like slip and like they were drunk right and they'd slip (laughs) on the the steps and they'd go rolling down and they'd like bowl over people from behind like take out it's like the the carson palmer rule like they just take out your legs and then (laughs) down you go uh 
And it was like a sparse student section too. Like I was like trying to get away from other people and there were still like people hitting the deck behind me. So that was, uh, that was an interesting game. All right, David, your number three thing you remember from a game. No one remembers. My number three was 2011 Western Michigan. And there were a couple of things. One mate, you probably remember that that was the only game that I think at Michigan Staven stadium never actually ended. Brady like Hoke's they, first they, game. Yeah, Brady Hoke's first game. They, Dave, they cut it Dave off. Dave Brandon like, saves the day where he goes down there and tells Western. Dave Brandon being an absolute douche nozzle is the uh, – <laughs> it, 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 like, saved Michigan there because, like, Western was kind of giving us a game. And, like, we had a couple fumble well, returns. Well, they were up it. by a few scores. But, um, yeah. But because then the other thing returns. is kind of what you're alluding to yeah. is Brandon Heron had two <laughs> long touchdown <laughs> fumble returns. Well, I think one was an interception one was a fumble return. Player also, on top of that, <laughs> on, t- on top of that, it was the game that Mitch McGarry decided to come to Michigan because he had so much fun jumping around and dancing with students in the student section and got it getting his picture taken. And so we get Mitch McGarry out of a random rain game against Western where that doesn't even finish. So. <laughs> Game was pretty weird. I, I mean, that's the kind of the secret thing about that game is that Western was playing us pretty evenly, and you know, Michigan yeah, got a lead because of the turnover luck. And then, like, you know, <laughs> Brandon goes downstairs and hollers at the AD of, "We're not playing the rest of this game. You have to cancel it." And he does. It was also like, I think there was like ten or eleven minutes left in the fourth quarter, yeah, yeah. and Michigan was up multiple scores, and they delayed it multiple hours. And I mean, I don't know, maybe Western wanted to come back out, but. But I mean, we There's went. No one there. We came back out for Utah in the. Yeah, I mean, like sorry, Brian scenario. Mack. Yeah, and, and Ace. Did you hear that story about Ace? What happened there? Yes. Yeah. Where Brian forgot to send him home. I was at Brian's house for that, and he jumps off the couch. He's like, "Oh no, I didn't tell Ace he could go home." <laughs> and so he like like starts texting him, email, "You can go home, man." <laughs> I was like, "Oh God." Yeah. Well, I mean, all the rest of the press court was still there. All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm on my number three. It is that 2019 Indiana game we brought up at Indiana. <laughs> okay, but it's not the one play that everyone remembers from that that game, which is Giles Jackson's return that everybody knows. He's down when they're like, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go and celebrate. Everyone practices celebration, but everyone knows it's coming back. Um, I I don't I I hope I stump you guys on this one. Do you remember Michigan going for two in that game? Oh no. Because they had not. a swinging gate sprint right option with Dylan McCaffrey, and it worked. Because okay. <laughs> it was the McCaffrey. Yeah. Oh, because McCa- oh, he was back after the he got targeted by Wisconsin. He got targeted yeah. Wisconsin, and he came back for this. And they, they inserted him. They did like a they did the swinging gate thing where like they line up everybody on the left, and then everyone shifts over to the right. And then they did a speed option to the right with him. And Indiana was like, what's what? 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 This is... <laughs> Why are you doing this to us? What did we do to deserve this? And it was like I just five minutes just left in the third every, quarter. I just remember everyone was like weirdly nervous for that game because Michigan always played these weird games in Indiana, and the previous two I believe went to overtime. And then oh. like Indiana was having a decent year, and it didn't start really good for Michigan, and then they blew them out by like three or four scores. And you're like, oh, well, that's probably well, that what. Was- that was the game where we were like, the Gaddis offense finally arrived. Actually <laughs> throwing it to Nico Collins. Yeah, <laughs> Collins had like two or three touchdowns, yeah. Hashtag speed and space. Well, they also threw one to like St. Saint- Restill. They threw one to Jackson. Like Jackson had the return. It was like, yay, hashtag speed and space. Yeah, I mean, it's that happening. was probably Shea's best passing game. Yeah. Or it could have been. 
was maybe. I mean, he actually had a really good Ohio State game that year. But anyway, um, we're on number two. Alex, number two thing you remember that no, from a game no one remembers. Uh, this one maybe some people remember it. I know Brian Mack probably does. Um, I love that they faked the extra point for two already up twenty-seven nothing against Rutgers in a game <laughs> yeah. that they were inevitably going to win by much much more, and they were like. What we're going to do, we're going to fake it and have the holder just run up the middle. Who is the uh, holder? Garrett Moores. Yes! <laughs> the two-time holder of the year. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's All good. right. All right, Dave, David, you're, uh, you're, you're number two. Uh, Northwestern 2015, who actually Northwestern, I look back, they were, they were 10 and 3 that year. Yeah. yeah. But um, Michigan had their third shutout in a row after giving up seven points to Oregon State and then seven more points to UNLV, which that Utah, that Oregon State game, the thing that no one remembers about that, is a minus 45-yard punt snap that went over Oregon State's head and almost hit the sky cam, by the way, <laughs> while we're at it. Anyway, so they'd given up two touchdowns, one in each game, and then three straight games were there with where they pitched a shutout. And for the last 30 seconds of the game, the people remaining chanted defense like they were at a basketball game. And I'd never really heard that in applicable context at a football game. And that was probably one of the coolest moments in like not a celebratory win sort of status, but like everyone in the stadium knew, Hey, we haven't given up a point in a month and we're going to honor the defense with the defense chant. Well, the, uh, there was also, um, I think it was Amar Darbo's, catching that game that was BYU 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 yeah yeah that was another Chesson I think had the uh weird power yes yeah the power return yeah Yeah, you're right yeah 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 Yeah. that was actually I think BYU we chanted defense as well and then Northwestern was did they yeah yeah Yeah. because they were they kept them under 100 yards up until deep in the fourth quarter and then like as soon as they got over 100 yards we're like well let's let the chant go anyway defense defense (laughs) All right, uh, mine goes way back. Uh, there's no way you guys remember this one because this was like early, early, early in my fandom. This is 1988. Okay, okay? so I'm, probably I'm, don't. I'm I'm eight <laughs> years old. I I know some people weren't even born in 1988. But this is are like, they on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> it's not his fault. Um, not his fault. I th- but this is like the very beginning of my fandom, and my fandom is very kid fandom at this point. And I go to a game with my dad. And they, and then he's listening to the radio while he's while we're watching the game. This is what the old men used to do: is they'd have the radio with the headset thing. With, yeah, like it yeah. looked like a, it was like a tape. His was like a tape recorder, so he like listened to Beach Boys on it all the time, and then like you know turn on the game <laughs> by flipping a switch. And he like listened to the radio while watching the game. So he's listening to the radio, and he tells me, "So Wisconsin, it, the game was like." started late and he goes well Wisconsin got here late because the bus driver drove them in the wrong direction <laughs> apparently this really messed up Wisconsin it was in the newspaper the next week Michigan won that game 62-14 we probably left at the half but like <laughs> it and Wisconsin was not very good in 1988 back then that was yeah they were good forever was, right until... yeah that was until like the early 90s the guy right before Barry Alvarez was the guy who started turning yeah. around um and so I, you know, I didn't remember barely any of the players or anything like that. I just remember going to the game and my dad, I've been so fascinated by the fact that the bus driver had taken them the wrong direction. It was true. They like <laughs> came the wrong direction to Ann Arbor. It's not even that far. They from, drove like, to 94. Detroit or something and then had to turn around and come back. And, you know, I was eight years old and taking the bus to school back then. So I was like, ah, that's, 
That that's, I didn't know that can happen. Like, that's, yeah, that's really maybe cool. I won't have to go to school because the yes, bus driver right. will get lost. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that one. Uh, Alex, your number one thing you remember from a game no one remembers. Uh, this one I like to call back to the uh, Middle Tennessee State game to start the 2019 season. I've got three things from this game. Okay. Um, and this is a game definitely people don't remember because Craig Ross did not remember it uh, <laughs> when we were talking to him a week ago. Um, three things. Number one, uh, Shea fumbles on, I believe, the first offensive play from scrimmage. First series, yeah. Um, number two, this is the game when DPJ is injured, and we don't know who's going to be doing punt returns. Oh, yeah. And so Jim Harbaugh sends out Lavert Hill, his one <laughs> experienced corner, to do the punt return, and Lavert fumbles the punt uh <laughs> and then like gets rocked while doing it so and then that was it that was the end of lavert hill as a punt returner wow. um and then number three this is the one where harbaugh is like we're gonna use dylan mccaffrey this year we're gonna find a way to use him so he lines him up as a slot receiver <laughs> and they throw a screen to him and a linebacker comes across and just plants him and <laughs> decaf is still not terribly large at this point and it was another one that was just like what <laughs> let's get what our backup we... quarterback killed for no reason on <laughs> when we have we slot receivers so it really was um uh, kind of like the that game encapsulated a lot of the weird bad harbaugh moments right like the ideas that are just very strange and don't make any sense i uh, mean that's fair enough all right you're number one david all right it's 2003 Houston, and this actually, the moment takes place in the next game, but probably the best chant I've ever heard at a Michigan, at a Michigan game, arguably, where Houston kicks a field goal like in the third quarter, and it's, so they get on the board, so it's 50-3, to three. and the next week Michigan plays Notre Dame, and they shut out Notre Dame 38-0, to zero, and at the, in the fourth quarter in that game, everybody's chanting, Houston's better. <laughs> and the funny thing was, so Art Bryles was a coach for Houston at the time. And I ended up seeing him at a coaching clinic and he was giving, he was giving a presentation on special teams and he referenced kicking that field goal from that Oh three game. He's like my first year in Houston, you know, we were coming up to Michigan. We, we knew we were probably going to lose cause we're just building the program. And we were so excited. We executed a field goal and got on the, uh, got on the board. So I went down afterwards and introduced myself to him. And I said, I was a freshman and I went to that game. I remember the field goal <laughs> and we actually, because you made that field goal, we chanted Houston's better at Notre Dame the following <laughs> week. And he thought that was hilarious. And he was like, I, he's like, that's great. I didn't, he didn't obviously didn't know that. Yeah. But he, he was pretty impressed with, with what unfolded then. All right. My, my number one, hang on everybody. I have to pull it back up again. Cause I, I lost it and, we're using my screen here, so apologies. All right. My number one is uh, 58 nothing, 2011, Minnesota. Okay. Gorgeous day. You know, the, that season had, a, like, a lot of lucky moments. There was a <laughs> lot of there – were, there were, like, a lot of things that were just – and Minnesota was not a terrible team that year. They had short talent, quarterback, but they, they had DeAndre Cobb and Bennett and Kirk. They, they had some guys on that team, right? Was Mason still there? No. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. And this was um, – and, like, remember Hoke was really buddy-buddies with Jerry Kill? And there was, like, yeah. a whole love fest or right, the game. And then right after the love fest, right after the buddy-buddy, after they're so nice to each other, 
Hulk just unleashes everything on him. So do you, do you remember this? Like Vincent Smith throws a touchdown. Yeah. They had the the formation we called the Fritz, which was like getting Denard out in space. That hit them all. They had like the, the three quarterback thing, which Haka was all excited about because he would draft quarterbacks for all of his positions and <laughs> draft again back then. Thomas Ooh, Rawls had all these runs for like 73 yards. And then the last play was a – I think we had a pick six at the end of that game. Um and I'm blanking. I was trying to find this before we got on. That's why I was trying to pull this up. I'm blanking on who had the last interception to, like, cap this score that's going on the jug for all time. Can was you guys remember it? Floyd? It couldn't have been Floyd. No, it was, like, Countess or something. I, mean, I, didn't count. I don't know. I, Countess, I can't remember. Countess was a freshman that year. Countess was a freshman that year. I can't yeah, him and Floyd. They. I mean, that was actually okay. Yeah, so quarterback I, play for the first time in like four years. We were actually like, oh, we can actually maybe live with this a little bit. Some somebody in the in the comment section is going to tell me who it was, and I'm going to feel like an idiot because I remembered it. But like, I mostly I remember like the Vincent Smith touchdown. Like the, the we're just every single trick play we can think of, we're pulling out of the book, and it's like this is your friend Brady. What are you doing? <laughs> and it goes on the jug. Zero. It's like so you look at the brown jug, and it looks. You know, it's mostly a match for, like, how the teams were. So, like, the 30s, the yeah. Minnesota's kicking our butts. And, you know, in the 60s, they're kicking our – they're kind of even because we're both bad teams. And, like, you know, Michigan, when they're really good, is destroying them. And it matches up. And then there's this 2011 58-0 in the middle of nowhere. It's just like – that was when Brady Hope decided to destroy his friend. <laughs> <laughs> is a mayor and a land surveyor with plans of his own He hates Aruska, he hates a vodka bandit from his home He hates Aruska, Aruska, vodka, vodka, he never drank a single drop He hates Aruska, Aruska, vodka, vodka, this poison he swears